Welcome to Culture Crossings, a podcast for globally mobile millennials with cross-culture identities. I'm Aska. And I'm Phoebe. The lockdown during COVID-19 has made us think about the effects of isolation on our lives. And for globally mobile individuals, being separated from loved ones has been a way of life for some time. Today, we want to talk about how we have dealt with being apart from friends, family, or significant others. So Asuka, talk about your first experiences being apart from your family for a long period of time. Um, How did you deal with it back then? Because you came here as an international student, right, to Canada. Well, the journey began as a study abroad student, but then eventually when I became a professional, and also a wife. Um, I'm married to um, a graduate student here in the U.S. who also happens to be an international student. So you can see that my life has been very transnational. That said, I'd like to think that every movement that I made has some kind of uh, purpose to keep me grounded. Part of the reason I think I actually intentionally do that is because things are very transnational, I'd like to think that I'm rooted in my purpose. But that said, I I know that my life has been very much unrooted in a place, if this expression makes sense. What's probably unique about our experiences is that people usually move out of their home or hometowns when they're, you know, going to college. In my case, I left home earlier than that in a very cross-cultural or multinational sort of scope. And the funny thing is that because I like to be prepared as a person. I actually read about different sorts of culture shocks and all these things before going to Canada. And I think one of the chapters or something said that you will eventually have homesickness. So I went to Canada with a mindset that I will have this. And strangely enough, like when your mind is prepared to have that, in my case, it didn't hit me when I first moved to Canada. But it did hit me when I went back to Japan for winter holidays and then went back to Canada and realized how alone I was in Canada. But that said, you know, I wasn't technically alone alone because I had a really good, friendly and welcoming Canadian host family because I was still a minor back then. Um, But that said, you know, it is different to um, live with another family, which is not your own. So I think in that sense, yes, I did have my own share of homesick. But I think it's probably because I've experienced a long time away from my own family, that experience actually made me feel even more family-centered or to care and to sort of treasure that time with your family because I know how temporary it can be. Sounds like you were a very mature 16-year-old. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I was really bothered by one part of, you know, Harry Potter and, you know, dreaming about studying at a place where I could eventually go ah. to like my words. So <laughs> it wasn't really. <laughs> what was the experience like for you um, when you left the Philippines? Yeah, so I guess that is the difference. So I came here with my family, we immigrated to Canada. But for me, it wasn't by choice, because I actually wanted to stay in Manila. Mm -hmm. And um, so my dad still had a business back in Manila. So you know, he would shuffle back and forth between Canada and Manila. So 
he wasn't um, with us for like a long time as well. For me, um, I just didn't really want to leave my home, which was Manila. And so, yeah, I had a pretty hard time adjusting, even though on the surface, it seemed like I was okay because I didn't have a problem with the language. In the Philippines, we also speak English. So when I came here, I didn't have a problem with school, with communicating with anyone. Um, and I think that's actually what was the challenging part because to everyone else, like to all the adults, like my teachers, um, my friends at school, you know, it seemed like I was a pretty well-adjusted kid. And I think the biggest difference back then was it's not like today where messaging apps and communication technology wasn't as good as it is today. <laughs> we did have internet, but, you know, we didn't have like a smartphone. We didn't have, you know, WhatsApp. We didn't have Zoom, Skype, all of that. So I remember we had to call long distance by landline still. Was it the same for you? Yes, I was like, <laughs> right. Um, it's not that, you know, we didn't have an internet, but actually being someone mm -hmm. living at a host family's place, I did have access to the internet um, through my host father's computer, but it wasn't like I had, you know, all the time that I could use. So basically, I used the landline. I remember going to the gas station and getting this international phone card scratching the surface of it yes <laughs> that's a ring a bell like it sounds so insane, yes. but, <laughs> that's what i did you know <laughs> there were those you know 15 dollar ones or 20 dollar <laughs> yeah. ones and yeah. i mean we did have internet back then but it's like and we did have email, we did have um, MSN. Um, what else did we have? MIRC, Friendster, <laughs> MySpace. Yeah, and Facebook just started to come around. But I, essentially I didn't have my own phone, like a cell phone and also my own internet. So, but in a way, how do you think that limited connectivity impacted your communication with friends or family at home and how do you think that maybe shaped your experience? So I remember we did used to write letters as well. Mm -hmm. I still do occasionally receive cards or letters. I know I've received some from you as well and I still do sometimes send out cards and letters as well but I do really like receiving letters. You know, it's it's different than just receiving an email, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember when we just moved to Canada, it was so funny. A friend of mine from Manila, she called long distance to my house in Canada. Mm -hmm. And she was saying how um, she was looking at the map to calculate the time difference between Canada and the Philippines. No way. She wow. didn't know the time difference. I mean, you could have looked it up online, but it's just like... I guess it wasn't as ubiquitous as it is now, right, but, right. you know, and we learned how to tell the time difference through the map, right? Absolutely. By counting the... <laughs> Didn't we? <laughs> you know, there's the international dateline, then you have to kind of calculate, like, once you passed it, a couple hours, I don't know, <laughs> no, I don't even know. No. Maybe we had more <laughs> brain power back then, you know, like nowadays you can <laughs> at your fingertips. You know, now with all the technology, 
we do deal with it a bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, have you noticed a difference in how you say goodbye or in dealing with an imminent separation? Is this process different now compared to before? Right. So with more technology and now that we have iPhones and whatnot, I think saying goodbye definitely feels a bit different. It has a different sort of um, meaning than or weight, maybe that's a better word, than what it used to be. Um, increased connectivity, you know, wouldn't really work unless you put your mind to it in a sense, because I realized that after leaving Canada, after I finished my studies at UBC and went back to Japan, you know, I just realized that it became kind of hard to keep up with your friends and the people um, that you met in Canada, just because, yes, we did have Facebook and emails and whatnot, but it's very different when they're not physically there. And I, you know, and you also have the new routine and then the time difference. And so, but over time, I just realized how much those connections do actually matter to me and also maybe in terms of mental health. Perhaps it's more so for anyone who's going through reverse culture shock. And so, yeah, I just since then realized that I really need to, you know, consciously water that kind of friendship, just like a plant, you know, you just have to be very mindful about reconnecting and keeping that bond. So over the past recent years, I think I've tried to revive certain connections or try to be more in touch. And for example, this podcast and reconnecting with you has definitely been a big part of it too. Yeah, I think technology has definitely made things easier. Yeah, I, I think it's a tool and a tool needs a person to work it. Um, how about for you? Definitely. I mean, I think there's still no substitute for meeting in person. And it's true that technology is a tool, but just because it's there doesn't mean it's going to be automatically going to make things easier. You still have to make the effort to nurture those uh, relationships that you want to. I think the difference with my process of dealing with an imminent separation before compared to now, I think the goodbyes tend to be a little bit shorter, just because maybe we're more used to it. And maybe we're or maybe I'm a bit more stable as an adult that, you know, like I can deal with it a bit better. But I think the process, you know, before I leave a place is still pretty similar. Like I would meet up with like friends or people that I want to say goodbye to have dinner together, or, you know, just spend time together, and then leave. But yeah, I think the main difference is, like now, maybe I deal with it a little bit better. I was just going to say that, you know, it's so weird, because you thought you said bye to someone like half a year ago. And now let's say that person is on the other side of the continent. But then you know, you can still text each other like nothing happened and be like, oh, this is what I had for dinner or like, this is what I did. That's true. We, do, we can just send pictures to each other really quickly. Yeah. We don't have to go to the gas station <laughs> and buy a phone card. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, about keeping in touch with friends, I do realize with the isolation that we had to go through during COVID that, you know, it does definitely take an effort to 
make sure to set up a time to be able to communicate with you know, your friends or your family or your loved ones. Do you think there's been a difference in how you dealt with being separated from family and friends versus being socially isolated during COVID? Right. This is a really interesting question for me personally, because um, actually the, during the lockdown in COVID made my life more social. If This might sound really strange because before COVID, about a year ago, this can be another story, but to keep it short, I basically had to leave my work. And this was because I couldn't get my visa renewed through the lottery for foreign professionals. And so before COVID, I spent many months um, pretty much writing and preparing for my next step forward. And I did get to see my former colleagues and friends time to time, but it's not, you know, like an everyday sense. And so I mostly spend days alone at a library or in my apartment. And even when you go to a library, it's not like people you know know. So for me, at least, it was an isolating experience being away from people you know. But then when this COVID happened, suddenly we were doing, um, for example, last minute grocery shopping with friends um, geared in masks and everything. And then also at home, my husband was not at the lab anymore, but, you know, sitting next to me most of the day. And we also called our parents time to time. They were worried about us, but also there's a certain kind of role reversal. If this is relevant, you know, like we're asking, did you do this? Or are you protecting with this kind of thing? And so, yeah, like both virtually and physically, things became a bit more social. That said, I have all the respect to anyone who's going through this alone. Um, in their own sort of shelter in place kind of situation. So trying to think like what kind of strategies or what have you that I've been using is that basically having, again, a, like a sense of purpose can keep your mind ahead. I mean, I think it's true. Usually in our daily lives, we get so caught up in all the things that we have to do that we're so busy, we don't necessarily have the time or energy mm -hmm. left to just talk to someone we haven't talked to in a long time so it's easy to let things slip mm -hmm. but I think this time has made us really realize the importance of those social connections mm -hmm. and since everybody is kind of isolated you know everybody has realized as well how important those social connections are and everybody's making more of an effort which I think is you know, is really good. Maybe, it, maybe you know, it's something that we all had to realize. Mm -hmm. If I think back, if this happened way back then, like maybe in the 70s or 80s, it would have been so much harder to connect with mm -hmm. people without the technology that we have now. So I think we're still lucky in yeah. a way. I imagine, you know, for globally mobile individuals, we're kind of used to traveling a lot and constantly leaving a place and saying goodbye. But there are lots of people who grew up in one place, and they probably have a hard time being separated from loved ones for a long time. But for us, you know, it's kind of part of our lives. How normal do you think this is? You know, is it okay to be okay being separated yeah. from loved ones? <laughs> I think that's such an interesting question that I used there. It almost sounds really absurd, right, to be okay to be away from home. Um, maybe other people have different thoughts, but for me, it's never actually been okay, okay. 
in my experience, what maybe is unique is that、um, before going abroad, even in Japan, I, I had a time when I was separated from my parents in a way, like as it was just, you know, at a daycare center where、um, preschool children go to to、um, eat together, you know, play together、um, until your parent or guardian picks you up after work. And so I think I was maybe around two years old when that happened. So, yeah, I had those years,、um, you know, just for a brief time being away from home. And maybe that time, without me knowing, kind of prepped me、um, to be away from home or parents. And so I think that kind of separation can happen even within your own country. And that experience. May transfer to something more international as you get older. Yeah, there are many ways of looking at、um, human bonds and like family bonds and whatever, but maybe this is because of my experience in the past that I don't necessarily believe that, you know, the time together equates with the value or the quality, you know, that you share with the family. A different take on the question may be like, What kept you going? You know, like what sort of drove you to be away from home in the first place?、Um, in your case, for example, yes, the first move might have been not your own kind of choice, but like a family decision to immigrate. But since then, you've actually, you know, made your own choice to, for example, move from、um, Vancouver to elsewhere to study or to Toronto for your work. And so, yeah, I'm just curious how that decision making shifted for you. I think、um, also maybe a long process for me to kind of deal with、um, my cultural identity and, you know, dealing with leaving home at a young age. And I think I realized that I've started to really appreciate the circumstances and opportunities that was presented to me was when I actually went back to the Philippines for a year. So that's when I had my reverse culture shock. You know, before that, I had always visited the Philippines every time there is a summer break or winter break. So it didn't feel for me that I was changing that much, or, you know, it didn't feel for me that I was different from the locals in Manila because, you know, I still constantly traveled back. But when I actually、uh, went back to live for a year, that's when I noticed the differences. And that's when I realized that, yeah, I have changed. And I think that's really when I started to accept my identity. And then that's when I really started to you know, appreciate what I've been through and the opportunities that I've had. And, you know, and I really just、uh, wanted to learn more and see more of the world and travel、mm-hmm. more after that. Yeah. And like you said, I don't think that you know, it's okay for me to be okay being separated from loved ones either. Like, it's not totally、mm-hmm. okay. But it's more like seeing the big、yeah. picture. Also, I think for, for me, I guess, maybe because of the way I grew up as well, I think part of having like a healthy relationship is like being able to kind of、um, be apart and then be able to stay together as well and be okay、mm-hmm. with that. You know, even if you spend a lot of time together, it doesn't mean that you're having quality time. 
all the time. I think the word that came to mind was transient. Um, because we are in transition mm-hmm. or in this kind of transient way of life, it makes us sort of really want to capture that moment and be in that moment as much as we can. Because sometimes, yes, we are doing by choice, but sometimes it's just, you know, necessary in fact of life that we have to move on time to time. And just because of that, because I don't mean to sound sad or anything, but because we know things aren't permanent, we, we tend to, you know, focus more on what we can do now. And I think that that kind of mindset actually helped me to, um, going back to the time when I was in high school, um, sort of move beyond homesickness, because um, I think I tried to be very intentional about you know connecting with family over the phone I I tried to do that once a week and I pretty much stuck to that routine and well of course like there were times I had to talk about other things but other than that for the whole time even until now it's been like once a call per week kind of schedule and yeah I think that routine can help you sort of focus on the present yeah that said I was wondering um Overall, how has being apart from your loved ones at a young age shaped who you are today? I think it has helped me to become more independent, that I know that I'll be okay and that I'll be able to kind of find resources that I need, even if my family isn't here. But with that said, you know, of course, I... Um, I know that my family will always be there to support me and I will also always like support my family as well. But at the same time, I think it's really important to be able to um, learn that kind of independence. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing. You know, even though um, I like my family, leaving them also made me become not really a new person, but discover like a new identity, um, especially through the intercultural experiences. So I think um, it's it's really interesting that you do have, you know, good memories of home, but then at some point, I think I knew that I had to leave to grow. You know, at that point, I wasn't thinking of a, a big picture. I was more focused on, again, the Harry Potter world. But I think in the end, it did give me the room to be the person or the search for a figure that I wanted to aspire to. So yeah, I think overall that really helped me become independent. But actually um, also to learn interdependence because when I left as an international student, um, you basically had to build everything, new friendships, new host family relations. Um, and then in that process, I think um, my host family made me realize that, you know, you really can't live by yourself (laughs) so I I think I really had the mindset of sort of pressuring myself with the responsibility thinking I really need to be someone who can just you know do everything on my own and be all kind of you know person but actually you know I think the hardest or the most important lesson I learned was how to ask for help or how to ask for support when you're in need that's true, especially during the time of COVID as well. You know, we realized that we do need other people. We are isolated, but we do need other people more mm-hmm. than ever as well. And I just wanted to add as well, um, I also learned how to, you know, get out yeah. of my comfort zone um, thanks to 
um, my experiences. And I think that's, you know, a really good experience and skill to have in life as For well. Sure. Yeah. Wrapping up our initial dialogue about um, how isolation affects us and how separation from loved ones shaped who we are. As story lovers ourselves, we think stories can sometimes help us in this time of difficulty. So we just compiled a list of five gems and books that let us think about what home means. And it's definitely not an exhaustive list, but we hope that you can find your next journey through this book or a film and uh, let those stories take us to another place for us to learn something new. The first book we'd like to recommend is Educated by Tara Westover. This one is a work of nonfiction, a memoir of an author who was born and raised in rural Idaho. And uh, based on her parents' beliefs, she was homeschooled and all the injuries and illnesses were treated at home. When violence increased at her home, she leaves her family at age 16, I believe. And through her journey, she learns to discover the power of education and the long battle with uh, family loyalty. The second book we'd like to introduce is Americana by Shimamanda Nozzi Adichie. This is the work of fiction, and it's a story about migration, love, and race told in a very bold voice of a protagonist, Ifemelu, who narrates the experience of one Nigerian coming to the U.S as an international student and returning home. The next one up is Lion, or it's a film based on a nonfiction book called A Long Way Home by Saru Barimi. This one is a true story of an author being lost at a train station in India at the age of five. He survives on the streets on his own, but then eventually he is adopted by a couple in Australia. And when he becomes an adult, he uses Google Earth to find his lost family and home. So those were the three suggestions for me. And uh, yeah, Phoebe, please. So my suggestions are going back a little bit further. So my first one is a film. It's called The Road Home, a film by Chang Yi Mo. It was released in 1999. The leading actress is Chang Zi Yi. You might know her from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So the film doesn't explicitly say it, but it's assumed to be set during the Cultural Revolution. And the film is told through the son's eyes as he goes back to his village for his father's funeral. He recalls his parents' love story and the separation they endured when the authorities called his father back to the city to answer some questions, quote unquote. And the second recommendation I have is called Imaginary Homelands, published in 1992 by Salman Rushdie. It's a collection of essays on a variety of subjects, including his ruminations on the past and the lost migrants face as emigres. And so we will also be posting the titles on our website for your reference later on. Thank you for listening to Culture Crossings. This has been Phoebe and Oscar. To learn more about us and interact with us, visit our website, 2020culturecrossings.wordpress.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye. Bye.